This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. Open up uh, the, the, the series. That's awesome. If not, we have a podcast, centralchurch.cc slash podcast. So, um, but the reason that we're talking about empathy, the reason that we're going through this series, it's a three-week series here just in the middle of the summer, and the reason that we're talking about empathy here at Central Church is because we talk a lot about love. You know, we talk a lot about how we are called to love. We're called to be the love of God in the world and all of this stuff. And, and the thing is, is, is I feel like love can be a very intangible, very like otherworldly thing sometimes. Would you agree? You know, people say that they love someone. You know, they might say they love their spouse. And then the next, very next sentence, they'll say that they love pizza right? And it's like, okay, cool. What does that actually mean? So when we say that we're called to love people, you know, the question begs itself, well, how do we do that? Am I right? And and, um, in these conversations with empathy, I feel like these are so important because empathy is a key component to loving people well. Empathy is something, as we said last week, if you do a word search through scripture for the word empathy, it's not there. But the concept is all over everything. And so as we go through this empathy series, I think it can be really life-changing and and really awesome because, like I said, empathy is kind of the key to love. It's kind of the thing that unlocks that relationship and that door, and it gets us, kind of gets our foot in the door and all that. And so last week, we talked about focusing on understanding. This week, today, I want to talk about the importance of diversity, we're going to talk about the importance of diversity today. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about a weird vision that the Apostle Peter had. Uh, and we're going to talk about what he did about it and how it changed him. And uh, we're going to look a little bit at the forests of British Columbia and what we can learn from them too. So <laughs> if you're interested, you guys interested? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for who you are and all the things that you're doing in our hearts and in our lives and in our church. And God, we just thank you so much. Lord, we pray that as we, as we dig into your word this morning, God, I pray that you would just illuminate it for us. Father, I pray that, that you would fill my lungs with your words. God, give us ears to hear. Lord, I, I believe that you have a, a message to speak to us this morning. And God, I, I pray that you would use me as the mouthpiece to do so. And Lord, as we hear from you this morning, I pray that it would change all of us. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and you'd give us the strength and the courage to make change in our lives. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. Everything is for you. We love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. So this Peter's vision deal, um, there's this really strange story in the books of, book of Acts uh, Acts, it's like right after the gospel. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And uh, a lot of your, if you open it up in your Bibles, which a lot of us don't even use our Bibles anymore because we've got our phones, but if you open it up in your Bible, it'll actually be called the Acts of the Apostles. And so it's kind of like following some of the earliest apostles, some of the people that walked with Jesus, you know, Peter and John and Luke and Matthew and all these people. It's following them through kind of the establishing the early church, right? And so there's this story in Acts, it's in Acts chapter 10, that very few people talk about. I think a lot of people just don't know what to do with it. And so chances are you have probably never heard a sermon on Acts 10. 
Chances are you probably, you know, maybe, maybe you have, but, you know, the thing about Acts 10 is that there was a lot of context, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, like, there was a lot of, uh, like, racial tension and political tension, there's a lot of, like, charge, there's a lot of stuff going on here, and, and we have to kind of understand it to really be able to understand what's going on. So I'll just kind of set the stage. Where we pick up in Acts 10, is this is after Jesus has ascended into heaven and he tells his, his disciples to go and preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them and all these things. And so they go and they start doing this and the early church just starts to explode, absolutely explode. In the meantime, Jesus kind of started this like subversive revolution that the Roman government did not like. Rome had invaded Israel, and they were actually taxing the Jews. A lot of scholars will actually say, they, they say it's, it's probably close to 90% of their income between all the taxes that they had to pay was being taken up by taxes. How would that feel, right? Like, how do you make a living on that, right? And so you have this, you have the, Israel is occupied by Rome, and Rome is taxing them like crazy, and there's all of this political tension, there's all this craziness, and, and as I'm sure you can imagine, the Romans and the Jews didn't like each other very much, right? And we're not talking about just, oh, well, you know, think about it. Rome is a different country than Israel, right? They're a different race, they're a different, they're a different nation, they're a different nationality, right? And so not only do you have somebody coming in and oppressing you, but it's somebody that is different than you. Not only are they a different nationality, but they have a completely different understanding of spirituality, right? These Romans come in and they, they have a completely different understanding of who God is and what God is like. And they start saying things like, Caesar is Lord, their king is Lord, right? And then the Christians start saying things like, Jesus is Lord. And I'm sure you can imagine, if you put yourself in this situation, there is a lot of tension going on here. There is a lot of racial tension. There is a lot of political tension. Does it sound familiar? (laughs) Now, obviously, we're not invaded by a foreign country at this point. We're not being taxed 90%. But um, I'm sure you guys can kind of get my drift here. So what happens is Cornelius, he's a Roman official, okay? Cornelius. He's a Roman official. He's a guard in the Roman army. Okay, he's very high up. He's a very upstanding Roman man. They called them centurions. And he's a Roman centurion. Cornelius is, he's got the whole world in, the, in his back pocket. You know, he's got everything figured out, right? And Cornelius has this vision, or he has this, this angel visit him. And it starts in Acts 10, and it's, it's really crazy. It, like, mentions this angel with, like, shiny clothes, and, like, it's, it's really strange. It's very, like, abnormal. But um, Cornelius has an angel visit him, and this angel tells him, there's this guy by the name of Peter, and I want you to send your people to go get Peter and to bring him back to you because he has something to tell you. Now, Acts goes out of its way to say that, that this Roman centurion, this particular one, Cornelius, actually was a God-fearing man, and he was a good person. And this, so this angel shows up to him and you know, says, hey, go get Peter. And so he's like, okay, I don't know who this Peter guy is, but you guys go find him. And so he sends his people to go find Peter. The next day, Peter has a vision and it's, it's the craziest thing. We're going to read it real quick. Um, Acts 10, 
verses 9 through 18, it says, The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. What? (laughs) This is so weird, right? This is so strange. And this is probably why we don't like to talk about this story a lot. Like, what in the world does this mean? This is the kind of stuff that people will like, that aren't Christians, that don't get the whole thing. Why do you read the Bible? I don't understand. And then they pull something up like this, and they're like, yeah, this really helps your life, (laughs) right? It's so strange. It's so weird. But see, we kind of have to set the stage a little bit. You see, Jews had this ideology that, that they were the in crowd, right? And even though they were oppressed, even though they were the lower class, almost all the time, in their religion is kind of built in this, like, if you're a Jew, you're good. Like, if you're born as a Jew, you're like the cream of the crop, and anybody else, they actually had like a word for anyone that wasn't a Jew, right? Like any words that we, that America has used in history for anyone that wasn't a specific race, probably not good, right? And they used this word, it was Gentile. And Gentile was essentially their word for anybody that wasn't a Jew. Crazy, right? Like it, it sounds kind of racist, doesn't it? And so... So they would use this word Gentile, and, and basically anyone that wasn't of Jewish heritage, they were kind of like second-class citizens. They were kind of like lower than the Jews. And this is the way that they saw the world, right? And on top of that, to be a good Jew, you had to only eat certain animals and not other animals. You had to only wear certain clothes and not other clothes. And they had like this whole long list of rules and regulations to be a good Jew, right? And so in this vision... There's a sheet that is lowered from the sky. (laughs) So weird. There's a sheet that's lowered from the sky, right? And there's all kinds of animals. It says like reptiles and birds, four-legged creatures, like all, all these crazy kinds of animals, right? And then this voice from heaven tells Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter's a good Jew, Half of those animals are off limits, right? Are you guys following me? Half of these are off limits. But he has this vision that says, like, you should eat those. So weird, right? Let's continue. So, by the way, do any, do any of you others, do, do you guys hallucinate when you're hungry? Because that's apparently what's happening, right? So, like, this is just so crazy. I just noticed this, and it's so funny. Like, Peter's hungry, right? And he's waiting for food to be made. A lot of people get like angry or a little bit short-fused. He like hallucinates straight on, so this is very strange. Um, But verse 14 continues, Peter said, no Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And the same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. Hmm, you think, right? 
Uh, what could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Simon is Peter, uh, standing outside the gate. And they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Okay, so this is where we're at. Cornelius has an angel visit him and says, go get this Peter guy that you don't know. Okay? Peter, the next day, has this crazy vision of a sheet being lowered down from heaven and God says, kill and eat all of them. And Peter's like, no, God, I don't eat those. <laughs> like, I can imagine, like, if Peter was a vegetarian, you know, and then, like, God just lowers, like, a hunk of meat down, like, eat it. No, you know. But, but Peter is like, no, God, I, I, don't, I don't eat those. You know I don't eat those. Like, that's how I obey you. That's how I follow you. Like, I'm a good Jew. I can't do that. I mean, I'm hungry. I'm super hungry, right? But they're making food in the kitchen. Like, I don't need to eat that. And God says, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And then Cornelius's dudes show up. This is where we're at right now. Now, we could sit and we can try to kind of like, kind of like give meaning to this vision. We could sit and we can try to like decipher it, right? But the crazy thing about the Bible is like context is so, so key, right? And, and when you first, I, I've heard people talk about this passage of scripture and they kind of try and like put meaning to it. The craziest thing is, is when we keep reading, we find out what the vision meant to Peter. We already, we find it out. So we're going to see that in a little bit, but it's just, it's the coolest thing. Um, so anyway, Peter goes with these men to Cornelius. Now, remember, Cornelius is a Gentile, right? Jews don't associate with Gentiles. They don't do it. Now, if you go over to someone's house in this culture, this is like super taboo. I mean, you just don't do it. You don't, as a, as a good Jew, you don't want to be seen associating with the scum of the earth, right? And, and this Corn, Cornelius is not just not a Jew, but he actually works for the Roman government that is oppressing you, right? So you hate the Roman government Cornelius is apparently down with the Roman government, right? He works for them. And, and Peter just goes with these guys to Cornelius' house. This is like super subversive and very, I mean, it's a, little bit under, it's a little bit underneath, you know, we have to kind of dig for it a little bit, but it's crazy. And so what we find out here is Acts 10, uh, verses 24 through 27, it continues. It says, they arrived in Caesarea the following day where Cornelius lived, uh, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. It's like super awkward, right? Um, but Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where the many others were assembled. Now, don't miss this. Peter's mind has already begun to change. We can miss it if we don't pay attention. But Cornelius, Peter shows up, and Cornelius bows down and starts worshiping Peter like he's some kind of God, right? He's heard. I mean, this is the guy that the angel showed up and said, hey, go get this guy. And then the guy shows up, right? And I mean, you can, I mean, it sounds weird now because we don't live in that culture, but like it would have been completely normal for Cornelius to be like, this guy must be some sort of angel or God or something because I've never had anything like this happen in my life right? 
And so when Peter walks through the door, Cornelius bows down and he starts to worship Peter like he's some kind of God. And this is what Peter says. He says, get up because you're human just like I am. And I'm human just like you are. Do you guys see that? Already, because the Jews think that anybody that's not Jewish is a second-class citizen, right? The Romans have oppressed the Jews and enslaved the Jews to the point that they have considered them subhuman. And now we have Peter walking into Cornelius' house, and he says, get up off the ground, man. I'm not, more, I'm not any more special than you. Whoa. Do you see it? He's like, get, get up, man. I'm, I'm not any more special than you. See, look, you're, you're human, and, and I'm human. So yeah, we come from different nations. Maybe our skin looks a little different. Our socioeconomic uh, situation is definitely different. But we're the same. Why are you treating me like that? You can already see Peter's wheels start turning, right? You guys see it? And so what ends up happening is, is Peter starts to see Cornelius the way that God sees him, right? Already. He walks into Cornelius' house, the first things out of his mouth are, you're just like me. We're, le- we're on level playing ground here. Like, God has created us both in his image. You're human and I'm human, and, and I'm not any better than you. And Peter already starts to see Cornelius the way that God sees him. And so the, the story continues, Acts 10, uh, 28. It says, Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this, or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. There it is. Remember he has the vision, right? And there's all of these animals, the clean ones and the, and the unclean ones, right? The pure ones and the impure ones. And they're all together. And God says, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, I don't do that. And God's like, yeah, just, just do it. It's cool. Don't call anything unclean that I have made clean, right? And so we can start to like put our own ideology and our own understanding on it, but if we just go down the passage a little bit, Peter tells these Roman officials, he tells these people, hey, God told me not to call anyone impure or unclean. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're Roman. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or if you're Indian or if you're, if you're Asian. or It, it doesn't matter God has told me not to call anyone impure or unclean, right? God says, don't call something unclean that I have made clean. And Peter draws the conclusion that God has called all people clean. Wow. Like, this is a paradigm-shifting moment, right? See, a few lines down, he says, verse 34, Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. This is a Jewish man saying, I see clearly now that God doesn't play favorites. Wow. Do you see the significance there? He's like, I see it. I get it. I had the vision, and now I'm here, and I see you, and you're human just like me, and I, I, I get it. The light has turned on. God doesn't play favorites. We're all loved, right? It's so cool. It's so cool. It says, in every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. It's not about where you're from. It's about what you do. It's about who you are. 
It's about the character of your heart, right? And he continues, he says, this is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He says, this is the good news to Israel, that there is peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, everyone, not just Israel, not just Rome, not just, not just one particular group. There are no favorites. Jesus is Lord of all. Do you guys see that? It's crazy, right? You see, God, God has opened Peter's eyes here. And he, see, he wants Peter to experience the full scope of creation, right? He wants Peter to kind of get out of these boxes of like, well, I'm a Jew and you're not, so we're just not going to associate, you know? We can be cool in public, but I'm not going to come over to your house. We're not going to hang out, right? Because you're not on my level. And all of this is going on in Peter's head, and then God shows up and just completely changes his heart in an instance. This empathy series, the subtitle there is The Art of Togetherness. We're talking about what it means to be together. And God has opened Peter's eyes to the scope of all of humanity, not just his clique, right? And it completely changes Peter's life. And you see, we know this concept. Like if somebody was to get up here on this stage and say, well, you know, God is good, uh, you know, if you're, if you're from Europe, general Europe area, God likes you. If you're from anywhere else, no, right? That's not how it works. And we know this concept. Like, no one's going to tell you otherwise. You know it deep down in your bones. But the thing is, is we don't practice it very often. Right? I mean, let's, let's be completely honest. Like, like, do a mental inventory of your friends, the people that you hang out with, the people that you associate with, the people that are part of your crew. You know? Are they really that much different from you socioeconomically? Are they really that much different than you racially? Are they really that much different than you politically? Are they really that much different than you theologically? You know? And we have all of these things that we have to understand that if we do a mental inventory of our friends, if we make a list of the people that we hang out with on a consistent basis, the people that we invest our lives into, do we value diversity like God does. See, God came to Peter and said, I'm not just doing something with Israel, I'm doing something with the whole wide world, and I want you to see it and be a part of it. And it changes Peter's heart, and he actually goes to Cornelius' house. He acts on it. Do a mental inventory of the people that you associate with. Do we? Like, we know it. It's a head knowledge. But has it moved has it made its way down, you know? Like, has it really sunk in, and do we live it out? For us to love people that are different than us, because let's be honest, a lot of people are different than us, right? There are a lot of people in this world, it's huge. And if we're talking about loving others, we're talking about having empathy for these people, we have to understand that there are different perspectives, there are different life circumstances, there are different understandings, there are different political leanings, there are different, everything that we are is shaped 
by our experiences, by our family, by our socioeconomic status, by our color of our skin. I mean, like, everything is shaped by everything else. And if we're really talking about being together with one another, despite our differences, then we have to understand that empathy is the key to this. Let's, let's talk for a minute about the forests of British Columbia. I stumbled across this thing a few months back, and it just absolutely blew my mind. And I just want to share it with you guys today, because I think it's so cool. Um, there's this woman named Suzanne Samard. She has a TED Talk, if you want to look her up. She's brilliant. She's a professor of, uh, I have it right here, forest ecology at the University of British Columbia. She's a professor of forest ecology at the University of British Columbia. And she was born and raised in British Columbia. Right? And she has always, she'd always had this like, affinity for the forest. She always loved the trees and loved being out in the woods and, and all this stuff. And so um, basically her life just kind of, the track was like, wait, what do I have to study? In, what do I get to study in college? Oh, maybe I'll study trees, <laughs> right? Because it was just always like a thing that she cared about, right? And so now what she does is she studies, with, along with a team of scientists and ecologists and stuff like that, she studies the habits, the growth patterns, and, and, and the habits of trees in the forests of British Columbia, okay? So this is what she does for a living. It's crazy. A few years back, they found the craziest thing. So let's say if you have a pine in the forest, and next to it you have a birch, and next to it you have another pine, and next to it you have a Douglas fir, right? You've got all the... I had to look up tree names because I don't know anything about trees. But um, let's say you have like, like three different kinds of trees all kind of in the same vicinity, right? If you take, let's say you take the Douglas fir away, right? You remove it from the forest floor and you go replant it somewhere else. The craziest thing happens. The birch and the pine that are there actually start to get diseased and die. They stop growing, they get diseases, and they start to wither. And it's the craziest thing because for years and years and years, scientists that, do this, that study these sort of things have said that trees of different species, it, it seems like they compete for sunlight, right? So the one is always trying to outgrow the other to get more sun, and it kind of positions itself in a place where it can block the sun of the other one. And they've always said that it looks like they compete on the top level, but when you get under the surface and you start to look at the root systems and you start to look at how they get fed and where they get their minerals and their carbon and all this stuff, I promise it gets better. It's not this boring. Um, they all share. They all share. And, and what they're starting to find is that a forest of just pines is nowhere near as healthy as a forest with all different kinds of species of trees. And what they're finding is that if you remove one of these species of trees, you can have eight different species of trees in a forest, right? And you're talking a forest, there's a lot of trees. If you remove one of these species, the rest of the species of trees will suffer because of it. Crazy, right? 
So then she started doing all this research about uh, how this happens and what kind of network they use to do so. And then there's like these fungi underneath the ground in by the root systems, and they actually will take carbon and minerals from one tree and give it to the other trees. And, but here's the thing. The trees have to soften up their roots to receive the fungi, right? So they know that the fungi, in some way, shape, or form, the fungi is supposed to take from them and give to a tree of another species, and the trees have to let it happen. And they soften their roots up to allow this fungi to take this mineral and carbon and all the stuff that the trees need. And so these trees are actually like cooperating together underneath the ground in the forest of British Columbia, right? And here's the craziest thing. If the the diversity of the forest is diminished, if you take a species out, the rest of them suffer because of it can't help but think that like maybe God's trying to tell us something right do you guys see it if you cut yourself off from diversity you cut yourself off from growth we all have different perspectives we all have different experiences we all have different lives we all have different we have different takes on things and and we've all learned different things throughout the course of our lives. And, and here's the thing is if you only associate with people that look like you, act like you, think like you, you're missing out on 90% of life. You're missing out on the human experience that God has created us to live. It's the craziest thing. I, I've told this story a couple times to a few of you, but um, I, I went on a mission trip to Chicago, right? Weird. But I went on a mission trip to Chicago back when I was like 17. And we went with, a, with two other churches. And both of these other churches were churches uh, from like the Baltimore area of Egyptian Coptic Christians. They had actually immigrated to America, to the Baltimore area, from Egypt. And like the, one, the, the guy that had been here the longest had been in the U.S. for seven years. So he had grown up his childhood uh, you know, in Egypt. And, and a lot of them were even more fresh than seven years. You know, they'd only been in the U.S. for two years or they'd only been in the U.S. for three years. Some of them were still learning English. And we started hanging out with these people and doing ministry with them in Chicago, right? And so we're both removed from our situations, from our normal lives, right? And we start hanging out and we start talking and, and all this stuff. And as they're talking about church and as I'm talking about church, it almost seems like we're speaking a completely different language. It was so strange. They would say things and I'd be like, well, partly because it was in Arabic, right? So they, speak, they're, they're, they say something in Arabic and I'm like, what does that mean? And they're like, oh, it's like when we do this. And I'm like, yeah, our church doesn't do that, <laughs> right? It was so strange. We, we came from completely different perspectives. But, but this one evening, um, my friend Mina came up to me and he said, hey, so in the morning, really early, like six in the morning or something like that, we, we get up and we pray. But it's not like the prayer that you have done before. It's, it's a little weird, and so if you don't want to do it, I understand. But I would like to invite you to participate in our prayer ritual in the morning. I think it could be really cool, a really cool experience for you. And I would like to join one of your prayer meetings at night so that I can experience the way you do things and you can experience the way that I do things. 
And I'm like, I'm so down. This is going to be awesome. I'm not a morning person at all, right? So I'm like, can you guys move prayer to like noon? And then I'll do it. But anyway, I got up early. I went out and I hung out with these, with these people, these Egyptian Coptic Christians. And they, they lay mats out facing Jerusalem. It almost looks like, like the way like a Muslim would pray, almost. They lay these mats out and they face Jerusalem. And they, they lay on these mats and they pray and they, they read the Psalms, and, and they pray, like, the Lord's Prayer, and, and they do all this, all this stuff that I've never, ever experienced before, and let me tell you guys, I have very seldom in my life experienced God like I did that morning. God was so real and so tangible. It was like, you know those moments? Like, we know God's here all the time, right? We know God's always around us, but you know those moments where, like, you feel like you could just reach out and, like, whatever it is, you can, like, almost grab it. You know what I mean? Like, the air gets a little bit thicker, and you just feel like, like reality is a little more real. Like, that's the best way I can explain it. And, and I had this insane experience with the living God on my mat facing Jerusalem, reading the Psalms with Egyptian Christians, the coolest thing. And see, here's the thing. If I would have said, you know what, I'm good on that. It's cool. I, I pray, you pray. Like We pray different, but it's okay. I'll pray my way, you pray your way. You can totally pray your way. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to join you, right? How often do we hear that, guys? You can do your thing, but... It, you just do it over there. I'll live and let live, right? Like, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. And it's cool. I just won't join you, right? But when I joined these people, I had this insane experience, right? And God just, like, opened up my eyes to how massive he is. God opened up my eyes to how creative he is. Because, see, he, they experience him in a completely different way than I've ever experienced him. And guess what? It was a genuine experience. It's real. They've done this their whole lives. And I'm like, man, I'm just getting clued into this. It was the coolest thing in the world. The diversity of God, the diversity of creation just shows us how absolutely massive and creative God is. And if we cut ourselves off from diversity, we cut ourselves off from growth. You guys with me? You see, I think that this conversation right now is so important right now. I think that we're at a turning point in modern culture. I really do. If you get talking to me when I don't have a time limit, <laughs> I'll get on my soapbox about this, okay? Because what we have seen over probably the last five years or so, it's really ramped up. And this is my opinion, but you guys may agree. I believe that our culture has become so polarized. I believe that our culture doesn't know how to experience anything other than what's right in front of us. Think about it, right? Think about people that you know that watch the news all the time, right? Which, by the way, I don't watch the news. I'm not, I'm not preaching this at you, but I would suggest there's other ways to know what's happening in the world. The news is terrible. Um, <laughs> that's an opinion piece for you coming right out there. Um, but people that watch the news every day, right, they watch one channel. Am I right? Would you agree? 
they only watch one channel, right? And, and like, let's say if you, if you lean more conservative politically, chances are, give me one guess and I'll guess what news channel you watch, right? Right? Now, if you lean more liberal politically, give me one guess and I'll guess what news channel you watch, right? Right? And like, or I'll talk with friends, right, about what podcasts they listen to, or maybe who they follow on Twitter, right? Like, just ways that we can get information. And it's all the same thing. My friends that think the same way I do listen to all the same material that I do, right? And the friends that think differently don't listen to any of the material that I do, right? Or, or like, think about, think about conversations that we have, right? Like, you're out to dinner with your family or whatever it might be. And maybe you guys don't see eye to eye on certain things, right? And so that topic comes up. I remember, I'm young, I remember a time when we used to be able to talk about it. Nowadays, it's like, it comes up and it's just like, yeah, we, don't, we just don't talk about that. We're just, it'd be, it'd be better to preserve our relationship as family than to get into this, Right? We live in this super polarized culture. Think about, think about the way that we interact with social media, right? Did you know that every social media outlet that you use has an algorithm to show you the things that you want to see? Did you know that? Like, like if you're on Facebook and your friends for a whole week post pictures of the beach because they're on vacation in Florida, right? And you like every single picture of the beach, Chances are, eventually, you start to see pictures of people you don't even know at the beach, right? And it's like, so-and-so liked this photo, so we thought you might like it too. Here it is, right? Because these algorithms are made to show us the stuff that we like. Think about what that does to the, the diversity of our news feed. You guys with me? And so there are like simple steps that we can take. Like we can go on Twitter and we can follow people that don't think like us. I had to do that a few months ago because I started to like, I'm looking on Twitter and I'm like, this feels a little like an echo chamber, right? So I started just going and finding people that I like respect and that think differently than me and I'd follow them. Yeah, maybe I'll read that blog. Maybe I'll like give that a listen. Maybe I'll listen to that podcast. Maybe I'll read this book, you know? And it's like super easy and super simple, but we just don't do it. And, and what if, what if as culture is screaming like polarize, 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 like you're either on one side or you're on the other, and that's just how it is. The people that are in the middle just get rained on, you know, like it's terrible. What if as our culture screams polarize, 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 we as the church started to diversify. What if? What if the church was the true image of God? Like, what if we really lived counterculturally, right? Like, if culture is saying, you're either like this or you're like that, right? You have to think this way or you have to think that way. What if the church actually lived counterculturally like we talk about and said, no, I'd... I don't have to do either this or that. I have a friend that thinks this way. I have a friend that thinks that way. I have a friend that looks like this and a friend that looks like that. I have a friend that does this sort of thing for a living and I have a friend that does that sort of thing for a living. And I'm totally cool with it because we're all made in the image of God. And God's doing something in all of humanity and not just my 
click, right? Like, what if we actually started to do that? Could you imagine what that would be like? Could you imagine how much we would stick out? Like, could you imagine how much the church would be looked up to if we were on the forefront, if we were the pioneers of diversity in our culture, right? Like, if we were the people that said, you know what, God values all people, so we value all people. Like I said, it's not just enough to think it. It's not just enough to know it. You have to do something about it. You see, Peter could have had that vision and been like, sweet, I can have carnitas tacos tomorrow, right? He could have. And he, he could have just let it be what it was, but when Cornelius' men showed up, Peter said, no, 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 I get it. I get it. I know what God was trying to tell me. And, and even though this is going to be awkward, and it's going to be uncomfortable, and I'm going to probably get weird looks, I'm, I'm going to be considered the weird guy, right? I need to do this. And he made an act. He, he acted on it. And so it's not just enough for us to know it. It's not just enough for us to think it. It's not enough for us to be like, quote unquote, woke, right? Like that's not enough. You gotta do something about it. You have to actually make the steps. Like you have to change the books you read sometimes. Maybe you have to change the people that you have conversations with sometimes. Maybe it's as easy as opening yourself up Like, think about your workplace. Think about how many different kinds of people are there. How many of them do you get lunch with? How many of them do you just say, hey, what was your life like growing up? Let's share stories. Let's, like, be together here, you know? Empathy is the art of togetherness. We're talking about feeling what other people feel. We're talking about going through what other people go through. Because it's not just enough to be like, oh, I see that that's your experience. That's cool. Good to know now. I'll tuck it away somewhere. But real love, loving everyone, means I'm here with you through it. And so as as we continue our talks on empathy and we continue to think about this, as we walk out these doors and as we take it with us, my hope and my prayer for this, this body right here is that we would take diversity seriously, that we wouldn't just have the vision Because guess what? If y'all are in this room, you just had the vision, right? We read it. So we can have the vision and we can let it be, or we can have the vision and we can do something about it. We can understand that when we cut ourselves off from growth, we cut ourselves off, I mean, from diversity, we cut ourselves off from growth. And once we start to internalize this, it will change the way that we live. It'll change the people that we associate with. It'll change the way that we think. And I think that that's what it means. I think that's where the church needs to go. You guys with me? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. Jesus, we just pray that that as we continue to let these thoughts simmer and as we continue to just kind of chew on all this, God, I pray that you would just, that you would speak so clearly and so loudly to us, even in this moment. God, we come to you with our mental checklist of all the people that we hang out with and we repent because we're not good at this, especially in our country, especially in the American church. God, we're not good at this. And we bring this all to you and we say, God, we want to love all of your creation just like you do. We want to be there. We want to be together with 
them. So God, as we, as we internalize this and as we, we take the steps that are necessary to make, put this into action, God, I pray that you would be with us. Lord, comfort us, guide us, lead us. Thank you that you love us. Pray all these things in your holy name, everyone said. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.